Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host as always, Alex, and with me tonight I have Brad. Good evening. It's uh, It's been a long international break. It's good to get back to some domestic football, but uh, we have the unfortunate task, I guess, first up of dissecting the, uh, the last match that we played before the international break. And it was a pretty disappointing one against Sheffield United. And uh, I, I guess coming into that game, we sort of expected... To, uh, to struggle against them away at um, Bramall Lane, but 4-1, pretty gruesome result in some respects. What did you make of it? Um, look, I think the result probably, uh, on paper, probably looked fair. Um, I think it's always harsh when you're up against a striker or, or an attacker who can score four goals in a half of football, um, then you can pretty safely say that he's clearly had a day out um, and I actually thought especially scoring the wonderful goal that Grzycki scored I, th- I really thought okay well we're going to have one of those days where we write our own team off and they surprise us but in the second half it was a bit of the same old same old. It's pretty crazy at the moment it seems that in almost every game we're playing we're scoring pretty great goals I mean Bowen's goal against Forrest Grzycki's goal against Middlesbrough and now Grzycki's goal against Sheffield United and it's quite frustrating as you say that we're kind of on that verge of having a quite decent performance and quite a good result uh, only to really let it be completely undone by a pretty lacklustre defence and pretty average sort of defending through midfield as well. I, I guess the issue is at the moment seems to be that Slutsky just can't seem to get his fingers or you know, put, put his finger on the right formation in midfield. Um, Stewart I think definitely needs to be starting and it's promising that Evandra's getting back to full fitness I think uh, whether he'll slot into that midfield position next to Stewart I'm not so sure but there seems to be something wrong with the formation at the moment even Dawson in defense isn't looking as solid as we'd have hoped for him to be so there just seems to be a lot of issues all, all over um, uh, that's that end of the pitch really I mean we're, we're having no issues scoring goals but defending's the real issue yeah look and and we, we always love scoring goals, but I think there comes a time where you actually got to acknowledge the league we're in. And we've got, you know, we, we know that on his day, Grzycki is easily a Premier League player. So it's not unusual that he's going to bop up and score fantastic goals or world-class um, goals. But the one thing that everyone still points to in this division and even goes back to the first promotion season under Bruce... Um, let's face it, you've got to have a really good, strong defence and, and a core squad that's going to grind out, you know, 40-plus games. And the attitude of that squad has to be there from, you know, pretty early on um, that we are an unbeatable defence. You know, we are not going to concede today if we can avoid it. Whereas we honestly think, I think sometimes we actually think that we're big flash running central central defenders, central midfielders playing as if it's, you know, it's a 15-game season and it's attack at all costs. Yeah. It's a different game. Yeah. And, and on that front, then, are you worried that we are legitimately in a relegation battle now? Look, the only thing that's probably to our favour is the fact that it's very rare that a side can score so many goals, in fact, be league leaders now or, or close to it, and get relegated. It just doesn't happen. Um, you can have a terrible goal difference 
um, and still stay up, but you've got to score goals. So the, it's almost like we're doing the hard things well, Yeah. but something as simple as just saying, do you know what, we want to be the side that is you know, hard to penetrate, hard to get past, um, and starting with that same resolve. And it's probably the only feedback, you know, and this is from afar, of course, but Slutsky's game plan seems to roll around utilising those attacking players as the game plan. Whereas those would know under Steve Bruce, he really did start with a defensive mindset and not really have much of a plan B. And at the moment, I think you've just got to get your plan A right. Yeah, it's amazing that for years we always uh, seem to struggle scoring goals, but it, it now seems that it's almost the opposite that's the issue, is that we're scoring goals for fun, but not able to shut up shop at the back uh, and conceding too many goals. I think it's two or three games in a row now where we've conceded four goals. I know we conceded four against... Was it was it three? It was three-two against Forest. It might have been four-one against Middlesbrough. I know they got that late penalty, uh, and then obviously four-one against Sheffield United as well. Yeah, and you've got um, to look at where we're yeah. scoring these goals. You know, we're scoring. Um, love, love Bowen to bits, and his quality is absolutely. You know, exactly what is probably giving a summary of hope this year. But all of these goals we're scoring, they're from decent ranges. And I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that our game plan is like Swiss cheese. And we're only nipping these long-range goals because of the fact that the opposition don't break down our holes and we end up creating one ourselves. Um, and that's not going to work, work for 40 games. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough and I think we're going to need to find some sort of solution and hopefully we can find that formation that really clicks uh, in defence. I think... A huge issue as well is, of course, that with um, Odebajo out for essentially the season, although signs are pointing to the fact he could be back late, you know, March, April sort sort of time in the season. Um, uh, Aina at right back, not a whole lot of depth there. I mean, Tamori can play there as well, but then he's also required as depth at centre-back. We're very thin along the back. Kingsley at left back with Clark behind him. It's just a very inexperienced defence, um, you know, Gone are the days where we had Racine as a as a bit of depth at right back and left back. Curtis Davies, Alex Bruce, Paul McShane, these experienced players. Uh, it's a very young defence now. Look, you're dead right, and, and it's actually funny when you start mentioning that name, those those names. That actually shows you to me where we've gone wrong. We've got a lot of players. Let's call them ball players, or what? Let's what, what people might say is quality footballers on loan in defence. Um, however, we don't have the Alex Bruce who would play on a Tuesday night in League One and go three blokes. Yeah, We just don't have that grit. And let's face it, you don't score or concede, sorry, multiple, you know, three or four goal barrages this season unless you've got a defence that isn't working well together. And um, I, I still point back, I know I've said this before, so people probably think I'm an Alex Bruce lover or something, but you go back to the FA Cup season when we made the final. Um, statistically, I don't know of a game we dropped points in that Alex Bruce played in in defence. Yeah. And including, well, if you look at when he got injured in the FA Cup final... That was, that was when it, it changed. That was right? a turning point, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got to try and find someone who's going into battle... You know, it's, it's quite obvious with the World Cup qualifiers we've seen over the last week or two 
that some of these teams that aren't prepared to do the hard defensive things are the ones that actually didn't get in. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about the World Cup uh, qualifiers in a second. We'll just finish off on the uh, on the negativity and get that out of the way. First of all, um, we reached out in the Facebook group last week and asked what people wanted us to, to cover on this podcast. There was an article in the Hull Daily Mail, I think, last week um, suggesting that this was we were on track, essentially, for our lowest average attendance at the KCOM since we moved in. Uh, so that includes League 2 football, League 1 football. Um, it's a pretty concerning statistic, and, and I suspect that statistic is actually based on the inflated crowd figures that we've seen uh, the club using. Um, so potentially the average is actually a lot lower than, than it's um, being described as. Um, is it concerning that the supporter base is sort of dropping off to that extent? And, and, and with, of course, coupled with this potential relegation battle that we find ourselves in, would a drop to League One almost be disaster for the club just a complete falling out of the at the bottom of the supporters base look um i think to answer the first part there certainly it is a worry um we know full well that it's easy to pull figures and confirm this and that and i suppose probably the, the thing you alluded to there that's interesting is even with potentially fudged figures we still look uh, uncomparable with, with, with League 2 stats. Um, there was obviously a lot of momentum around the club when we first moved to the KCOM and the, the Peter Taylor era and the excitement of you know, promotion or nearabouts. But I still think the biggest problem with all of this is is that it's not surprising that we've ended up where we are now. If you go back and look at the history of clubs that have been poorly managed at the top, um, there is only one general way they go. Um, Bolton's had its issues in recent years, and look look at that. I mean, they were they were a club that when we were in the Premier League, they were a bogey. I don't think we ever beat them, um, and yet you know there they are running down the divisions at a rapid rate and looking like half the side they once were, or half the club they once were. Probably probably the biggest concern is now is that I actually think, um, like we saw at stages last year, I think the players are now feeling. Um, that let's call it I don't know what what the real word is but it's like going into a workplace you don't want to go to sure the chips are down and the manager's copping a fair brunt of it but let's face it this has sort of been a cancer now for a while and uh, I think it's actually starting to to get in some of the players heads and with some of them not making world cups I think January could be an interesting month and what do you make of uh, Ehab's letter to the supporters last week proposing <clears throat> potential concessions, which I think when it was actually looked into, it, it seemed as if they were essentially saying, well, kids', price, pre- kids prices would stay the same, adults' prices would increase, which I, I guess is technically a concession, but it's a sort of backwards working one. Um, what, what do you make of the at least the attempts to you know, sort of have this step forward in reconciliation? Oh, look, I, I think he's he's actually shown in a way he's, he still holds the whole issue as, you know, holds the fans in contempt here. Um, I re- really, he's actually showing he's a muppet because the one thing I would say, if he really was genuinely trying to, let's say, make peace here or, or offer an olive branch, I would assume the club's media officer would have been all over what he had to say, um, at least the letter he wrote, um, and as you just pointed out, we're reading through the letter and, and finding holes in it on the first read. Yeah. And that's 
you know, I don't, I don't care who, who owns a football club per se, but if you're at the top of the tree, even if you think you're doing half a decent job, you should still be utilising the club for what it is. And the club's got, you know, fan liaison and media support. Why, why does it even get them to have a quick look at what he's saying? So I think he really is just trying to save his own ass and trying to keep himself in his ivory tower cocooned from what's going on. And he will tell people this was a massive olive branch and we all know factually it's not. And I think as we speak, uh, the Queen is actually touring hulls. So there's some cynics who would suggest that that might have played into the uh, the attempt at amnesty last week in terms of any sort of worry that there'd be protests or anything like that, which I don't think there was ever seriously going to be. I don't think... I think uh, as important as the issues are with uh, with the way the football club's being run, I don't think it's something that you play out with something like a royal visit, um, but I guess they were, they, they could have been a concern in their minds. I don't know. That was sort of the, uh, the more cynical point of view, I suspect. Well, I think if you're carrying a lot of guilt, uh, you tend to jump at shadows a little bit. Um, and that's probably the... Uh, I, I think there's no... Co- no um, it's an absolute uh, play purely because of the Queen's visit, I've got no doubt. We've heard pretty much zero in any productive way at all from Ahab until he realised that effectively most of Yorkshire don't like him. And... Um, since then, we, we hear nothing, and then yet we get an olive branch, coincidentally, the week prior to the, the Queen's visit. I mean, I think he just really does jump at shadows, and that was another part of his tactic. Yeah. Well, we'll move on to more positive news then, and it's, it has been the international break, uh, with three of our players uh, in action for their countries looking to qualify for the World Cup. Obviously, one a bit closer to our hearts, but we'll start with the other two. And it was great news for Seb Larsson and Sweden qualifying um, against pretty much against all odds, really, against Italy. Um, no one really of the four ties. That was probably the one that I at least suspected was going to be um, the most one-sided in Italy's favour. But they did a great job getting through that one. So, look, they did. And, and talking to someone today who's a very passionate, hairy lip. Missouri follower, uh, he he was saying to me that it's it's almost a, a mirror image of what's going on at Hull. Is the, the passion wasn't there? It wasn't till they realised it was slipping away that Italy started really trying to you know throw their bodies about. And fair credit to Sweden, they had a decent game plan, and uh, I think analytically they've worked out how to beat them, and they did it. And it's like your comment earlier about teams who uh, had that grit and determination to um, to defend when needed. And by all reports, Seb Larsson had a great game for Sweden, so hopefully he can um, translate that into a bit of form for us. Well, look, I hope so. The one thing I did like, and I must admit I didn't get to see the whole um, of the second leg, but the one thing I did like is in, in the small part patch I saw in the second half when it looked like Italy might be trying to really muster something, um, not just Seb, but but effectively their whole midfield really defended very well. And um, hopefully Seb <laughs> brings a bit of that sprinkle dust back for us. Absolutely, and it was a bit uh, less fortunate for David Myler and Ireland who went out to Denmark. They had the perfect start to their second leg uh, and, and in a lot of ways it mirrored the situation that Australia found themselves in where uh, nil-nil away from home in the first leg, coming back to the home comforts, um, 
scored a goal in the sixth or seventh minute, so they were off to the best start possible, uh, thanks to uh, Shane Duffy. But unfortunately, Denmark were able to get on top, and and the, the issue was for them once Denmark got two one up, Ireland really had to push forward for a goal, and it left them exposed. And and obviously the rest tells tells its own story. Ericsson capping off the game with a pretty decent hat trick in the end, but uh, pretty unfortunate for David Myler. Look, yeah, I do feel sorry for him because I think he does live and breathe it, and um, especially none of us have had the pleasure of playing at that sort of level. But you can imagine. A World Cups, the only thing that really evades them as a nation, getting right in, and I'm not just talking about qualifying, but I'm getting right into the mix, the mix of it. We know at times they've pushed, pushed, uh, pushed um, countries to, you know, um, to the brink. Some really top-notch countries over the past you know, eight to ten years, and just feel like they're always unlucky. So I do feel a bit sorry for him. Yeah. Uh, but then obviously on better news is Jackson Irvine qualifying last night and, and being at the game myself, it was an incredible atmosphere and that first half was terrible to watch and I can't imagine what it was like on TV, but the Honduran players just flopping all over the pitch, taking an eternity to uh, to get their throw-ins back, into, back onto the field and just soaking up as much time as possible. And of course, fl- flipping a switch just like magic when... Um, when Yedinak scores that first goal at about 60 minutes, all of a sudden they can take everything as quickly as, as they need to and rush to get that goal back. Um, but a quality win in the end, 3-1, and uh, and Irvine's going to the World Cup. Look, it was it was great, obviously, from a whole perspective, to see Irvine, um, well, at least playing in the first leg, uh, but being part of it. But... Yeah, look, it's a mindset. You know full well, Alex, because you've watched them pretty intensively for a long time. Australia has really no right on a level playing field across the world to be anywhere near the top 20 nations. Um, as a sporting nation, we're big, but as a football nation, we're still a baby in the scheme of things. But the one thing that Australian sides always have is this belief that they can do anything. And... You know, I, it was only this morning I realised that it's taken us, what, 22 games to qualify yeah. for the World Cup. Now, um, if you look at what, what we hear about problems with European teams sort of dropping the bundle a bit, you know, you've got an Australian team who know they're up against it and, and taking 22 uh, games to qualify, but yet still putting in, I feel, one of their best second-half performances in all those games last night shows you what, what the problem is at Hull. And that is is that there's just a drive as a unit to, to do well. Absolutely. And it's great to see um, as well. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of Ange um, over the past several years. But you have to consider that when he took over back in 2014, it was a very old squad. And it was a lot of players who were still around from that glory 2006 squad who he then had to sort of manage and transition into this new squad that we now have with guys like Tom Rogic, Aaron Moy, Tommy Urich, all those guys sort of coming through into the team now. And, and he's done it quite well. And yes, we've sort of we've sort of gone away from that more free-flowing, high-scoring football he had us playing. But um, look, we, we got to the World Cup in the end, and it's probably, as you say, not something that we deserve or, or in the sense that you know we shouldn't expect that every world cup as it comes around we're just going to qualify i think um there's sort of that expectation because we've now made four world cups in a row but yeah as you say you just have to look you know italy netherlands other teams that haven't qualified are all quite decent nations 
So it shouldn't just be a God-given right that we're going to make it. And, and it, it is something to sort of to treasure. Um, and it's remarkable to think as well from a Hull point of view that we've now... So prior to this World Cup, we'd have two players in our history represent the club whilst playing in a World, club, World Cup in um, Richard Garcia and also Mano Figueroa. Uh, and now we're more than doubling that number, assuming that Larson stays on at the club for another season, but we'll have Larson, Irvine, and also Grzycki. Yeah, you're right. And look, probably the exciting thing for those that don't know a lot about the Australian setup anyway is, is that Australia's still trying to find a way to, let's call it, move a few of our older players on or at least backwards in the squad and let some of the younger guys step up. And Irvine's got a very unique window here where he's playing at a good club in England, a, a high enough level to gain respect at the international level. But he's also got a window where he knows there's players vying for positions with him for that World Cup that are on the way out. And he can really stand up in the next 12 months. And I really hope he actually comes back to Hull somewhat of a, not a change man, but a much more spirited player that he really wants Hull to do well because it's going to actually improve his chances of playing in a World Cup consistently. Absolutely. And uh, his chances hopefully will come uh, in our very next game. City could maybe get a third here. Ball played in. It will go up into the air. Robertson. It will fall now towards Myler. Oh, it's amazing! It's the best of the bunch. It's David Myler with an absolute beauty. So you've just heard there um, uh, one of the highlights of our last game at home against Ipswich, which was an absolute screamer of a goal from David Myler. Um, and Brad, it's kind of funny when you think about it. I think especially in that game, we had Alex Bruce also on the score sheet and uh, and Chuba Akpom, I should say. And I think it was the previous home game against Ipswich where we had that Nick Proshwich, Proshwitz brace off the bench. Um, that we've had some pretty unlikely goal scorers against Ipswich in recent games, uh, especially at home. Um, they're sort of... it's They're an interesting club because they've been in the championship for... I think they, they're the longest serving championship team neither getting promoted or relegated so they're sort of one of those clubs that are always there never quite challenging but not quite in danger of relegation um but they've started off the season quite well uh what what do you make of their start to the season and our chances against them well look i mean the international break hopefully came at a time where any excuses or thoughts or niggles that some of our players have had are, are over with. Mind you, Ipswich are in the same boat. But I don't think we had any momentum to stop by having the break. Um, whereas Ipswich, although not all their results have gone their way recently, I do feel that the break should serve us better than them, um, even though we've obviously got a few extra players involved in it. Um, the travel will be something. But Irvine didn't play last night, so he should be... Hopefully, minus some jet lag, be okay to play or will be part of it. Um, but, I mean, let's face it, it doesn't really matter. Ipswich haven't got – they're not a top two or three side, in my opinion, and therefore they have to be the teams that we go into saying we will beat them. Not we could beat them, but we will. And we're going to sit back and we're going to play a style of game that gives them no chance and gives us a chance on the counter, not – playing in a midfield pattern that gives them holes to maybe exploit, but being a very tight unit. 
and I think for, from an Ipswich point of view, they've lost four of their last five away games. So that that's also a statistic that plays into our favour. Um, obviously, we haven't been too great at home ourselves, but at least if they're also struggling on their, their travels, um, potentially it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to, to exploit that. Um, I know Noah Dicko is potentially an injury doubt for the game. I think he re- um, withdrew from the Mali squad, uh, and I think Fraser Campbell is suspended. The interesting one then is Adama Diamande, who has almost become a bit of a forgotten man. Who we've we've talked about him a few times on here, um, and I don't think he's started a game since he scored in that four nil win over Bolton, which is a bit remarkable when you consider it. Um, but perhaps he comes back into the reckon, uh, into the consideration. Yeah, look, I think he does, and I mean. <laughs> I probably really annoy people with my opinions on a few players, but I've always liked Diamande, and I know that in the Premier League season, just gone, he didn't feature much, he didn't provide a lot, but I still go back to when the chips were down against against Leicester, against Swansea in that those first few rounds last year. He played out of position, he played on the left side, he played up front, he really got moved around a lot, but he worked hard, and he has got a frame that means he can impose himself. And at the moment, sure, we're scoring goals, but the one thing I am noticing more and more each week is that when we actually do lose the ball just outside of our attacking 18-yard um, box, we're not really tracking back. No. And, and it's almost like you've got pretty much then three midfielders looking at Myler, who we know he tries hard, but he's not exactly the world's best midfielder. Um and let's face it, if Myler is our saving grace in, in the defensive heart of midfield, we've got a problem. And he's not going to be able to do it, no matter who he is, if he's got generally two or three midfielders coming at him. And I actually think Diamande would, let's call it, make our forward forward half a lot more accountable. And uh, at the moment, what else have we got to lose? Absolutely. We really need to start picking up points at home, and it's it's remarkable to think that we've still only got the three wins for the season. So, And uh, just on that, I know he may not play, he's suspended, but I can really see uh, Diamande being a great foil for Fraser Campbell. Fraser's great at setting plays up. He can be quite, for, for, for a player who obviously likes to score a goal, he can be very selfless. But let's face it, Campbell can really get in behind defenders at good angles. And Diamande is a really good attacker to drag those central defenders up the park a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. We've, we we seem to have a bit of depth in strikers. Um, I know Slutsky's sort of shifted to preferring a one-up-top formation uh, since uh, Hernandez's injury, but uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. I mean, if Diamande does get his chance and he can score, score a goal or two, um, he would certainly come back into consideration and then perhaps we do shift to a two up top formation as you say and 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 uh have him playing off Campbell well I think what he does does actually do is he helps the players around him and even if we only get you know maybe 80 percent of the attacking force we want our problem isn't scoring goals our problem is our accountability across the park and I think he can really help that absolutely um what's your score prediction for this one Look, uh, after slating everyone I could tonight, <laughs> I, I actually think the break is going to come at the right time. Um, I think, I'm hoping anyway that Slutsky's had this really burning a hole in his brain and he's spending all this time sipping vodka with his assistants and trying to come up with a different plan or a different way to concentrate on 
what their priorities are. But I actually think that they'll get it right. Um, and I think whilst we might still concede an early one because you don't fix that overnight, I think we'll actually win 2-1. Well, as you say, I mean, the last two international breaks, we've had our 4-0 win over Bolton before it and our 6-1 win over Birmingham before it. And I think we went quite flat after those international breaks. So hopefully the reverse has happened here where we've had quite a poor result and the players have gotten a chance to go away and stew and, and think about it a little bit. And, and it's good to see. I think we had a behind-closed-doors friendly during the week where uh, Evandro made his comeback. And I think Will Keane's also quite close to a comeback. So... Um, Hopefully, with a bit more time, some of these players will come into the side. We'll be able to, you know, try out a few different options and and really find a formation that can actually give us a bit more defensive solidity as well as maintaining that attacking impetus. Um, and both of those players you mentioned, mate, are tailor-made for this situation. Will yeah. Keane's very much maligned as not scoring the goals he should, but let's face it, he he is very committed throws his body around a lot and, and doesn't fear anyone. And I think probably was quite summed up pretty well after the Australian game last night when they were talking about what some of the lower-level league players need to do in that Australian side to get notice for the World Cup. Um, the championship came up quite a few times as probably the hardest and physically hardest league to play in in, in possibly the world. Yeah. And so what we need is players that can adapt to that, not players that can score goals but not do the hard stuff. Yeah. No, absolutely. So it's going to be a, uh, a very important game against Ipswich at home and hopefully we can get the three points. I, I'll i err on the side of I think it could be a draw. Um, I'm not sure if I can... Oh, come on. <laughs> the one thing you've got to do, this is, this is my yeah. rub the, the Buddha's belly moment for this week. If anyone out there has got an old city shirt with the old emblem on it, doesn't matter how bad or how much you don't like it. Anything that's got the old logo on it, get it out this weekend yeah. and wear it because that's what's going to get us across the line. A bit of positive old school thinking gets us out of this mire. Well, yeah, here's hoping. Here's hoping we can get the three points and we'll be here next week to discuss a pretty good win. Um, for anyone that's been listening this week or last week, you'll notice that we're now available on SoundCloud. We're also available on iTunes now, so check us out there if, if that's your preferred way of listening to us you can subscribe you can download the episodes listen to them on your phone or whatever at the gym or you know, on the train or anything like that uh, and of course like and comment share the videos around share the uh, downloads around and, and, and get up, get the name out there but thank you everyone for listening in and, and thank you Brad for joining me this week cheers mate and come on you city absolutely come on city you've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast for more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. This is on fire. We're going higher and higher. There's no turning back.